I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me your host Chloe Timms. This week I'm talking to Stacey Thomas about her historical novel The Revels. Stacey is a civil servant and a staff writer at Bad Form Review. She was awarded the Claire McIntosh Scholarship for Black Writers in 2021 and she was one of the three winners of HarperCollins Killing It competition for Undiscovered Writers. In this episode, we discuss adding a touch of fantasy to historical fiction, her advice for making historical settings feel lived in, and what happens when other books come out that sound similar to yours. But before we get into that, here's Stacey with an excerpt from The Revels. Anne Greer resides in a medium-sized limestone cottage. The house is neat, with a small herb garden near the entrance, soon trampled by the horses of Rush and his men. The windows have been broken. The damage is not recent, for the lattice is veiled with cloth. This does little to keep us out. Rush, Clements, Will and Mrs Barnett barge inside to begin the investigations, leaving myself and Rush's watchers, Henry, Water and Samuel, to stand in wait, lest Mrs Greer's familiars come to her aid. Have you ever seen a witch before, Henry asks, every time I catch sight of my reflection. No. We shall all see them by the night's end, Henry brags, and then straightens up at Mrs Barnett's appearance. Her apron pocket is bulky from the sweet bags of jasmine and the coins that jingle with each step. Water helps her onto her horse. A witch mark was found, she volunteers. Where? asks Samuel but she is not inclined to linger and kicks her horse into a canter. By itself, the devil's mark is not enough to secure a conviction. A confession is needed, and I turn to see Clement stood on the door threshold. I do not wait for him to beckon me close and instead hurry inside to prepare to claim, by a lucky throw of the dice, my prize. Mrs Greer is sitting in the middle of the room, her limbs bound to the chair with rope. She raises her head, and I am afforded her grudging recognition. My eyes linger on everything but her. The room has been cleared, with most of the furniture pushed towards the corners. A cat mules, but keeps itself hidden. Rush's watcher, commandeer, is placed for themselves in the corner. 
and Mrs. Greer's feet grinding to the floor in silent protest at the familiar way they handle her belongings. The men bask in her disapproval and scrape their mud-splattered boots on the rugs. Will and Rush are sitting next to each other in the corner, their expressions veiled by shadows. Nicholas is to lead, Clements reminds Rush when he attempts to banish me to the reader's desk in the corner. The table is empty apart from an ink pot, quill and paper. I resist the urge to make it my shield. The circumstances call for experience, says Rush. I am experienced. I have trained under Judge Percival, I argue. To do anything else would arouse the witch hunter's suspicions and see Althamia in Mrs. Greer's place. I will guide him if he missteps, says Will, with a look of encouragement, while Clements finishes. He has earned this. Hi Stacey, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on with me today to discuss your debut novel, The Rebels. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. (laughs) So can you start by giving us an introduction to The Rebels and telling us what it's all about? Yes. So The Rebels is set during the English Civil War and it follows a young man, Nicholas Pierce, who's apprenticed to an infamous former witch hunter. But the only problem is that he's a witch himself who can hear the dead sing. And my story is, about, is all about him trying to survive while getting drawn into an increasingly gruesome witch hunt and finding love for the first time. As you can tell, I've had plenty of time to practice that finish. <laughs> you have. I, I'm always in awe of authors who can just roll out their pitch perfectly and uh, <laughs> that's so brilliant where did the title come from because um it's I don't know I just love that title though I, I always love the title obviously my book's got the title but I'm always yes. always attracted to a, a the something so where did the rebels come from so so basically originally like with my main character he's an aspiring playwright but like originally he wanted to be an actor um and so during when I was like researching like 17th century England I realized that there was a post called master of rebels and so he was basically in charge of deciding which plays could be performed in front of like um the royal court and so that's where I got the idea for the title because within my book it's kind of like I kind of liken the witch trials and kind of the persecutions to a play because it's that thing people are kind of getting off on the kind of theatrical aspect of it. And so I thought that like the rebels would have been like a perfect kind of like starting point for the title. And then as you kind of get into the book, like one of my characters is kind of likened to the master of rebels because of the kind of power they have in like shaping the narrative. Um, but originally, like, I was kind of going back and forth between, like, the Rebels, the Revelers, or, like, Dark Rebels, and then I just decided on, like, the Rebels, and luckily, like, um, like neither my agent or editor ever suggested, like, changing it, so. It just felt right. Some, yeah. Do you, yeah. Are, you a, are you a person that finds titles, like, easy, or do, you, do they take a while to come to you? I feel like... Um... Because when I first started writing, like, I feel like I was kind of so focused on getting the first line, I didn't really think about the title. And then as I'm writing, I kind of tend to maybe obsess over it. So sometimes I feel like with The Rebels, like the title came quite easy. And then with the second book, I was trying to come up with all these kind of complicated titles, like I'm still working on book two. And then it's like the title like I have, which you know agent or editor could decide to change but it's like it's quite kind of simple but like it gets to the heart of like what's it about mm-hmm. so but again like it might change yeah <laughs> I I really find titles difficult so I 
bow down to your title and skills <laughs> there. <laughs> so your novel is historical, but there's a slight fantastical element in the sense that Nicholas can hear the voices of the dead and well it's more like songs from the dead because they come out in this yes. very poetic way how did you handle that fantastical element in a historical world and was that your starting point for the novel or did it come from somewhere else so I would say um like I always wanted to have that supernatural aspect because even though like with my book like it's quite like I base like a lot of the events on like things that have happened so where I can I've tried to be you know authentic like as authentic or as authentic as possible as you can be in a book where the dead sing um but then it's kind of like it was a balancing act because when I went on submission to agents and like I got my agent Liza de Block at Russians um I just remembered she kind of wanted a bit more world building with that fantastical aspect and then when I handed in the first round of edits she was like okay this is kind of going more into the historical fantasy and we want it to be more historical fiction so it was kind of just scaling it back and so I kind of just feel like with the kind of like the supernatural fantasy element that was kind of because it was kind of wrapped up in Nicholas's personal development in a way it made it easier because even though it was part of like the story like the fantasy story wasn't the story it was always the kind of the witch trials and trying to stop it and because in my book like apart from Nicholas there's only one or two people who have powers so again it's kind of like it's not that kind of you know like magical realism kind of book where you know the magic is like kind of propelling the story along it's it's basically about kind of you know what kind of people do in the search for powers and the different weapons they have like you know whether it's like kind of power or like you know magic or just you know whatever other weapons they can wield. Mm. Were you happy to kind of go down the more historical route rather than the fantasy route or did that kind of come as a bit of a I was going to say a surprise, but I wonder whether there was any kind of feeling from you that you thought, I don't really know how to balance it, or I don't really know what I want this book to be. Or did you feel like you definitely wanted to go down the historical fiction route with a kind of sprinkle of of magic? I feel like I, I always wanted to go down the historical fiction route with just a sprinkle of like magic, because I've read like a lot of historical fantasy and fantasy books and as much as I love them, I just feel like, oh, God, they're like, they're too much work. Like, <laughs> it's just like, I'm really in awe of the magical world, really. But when you go into the kind of pure fantasy books where it's a completely different world and a made up language, I'm just like, I don't I don't have the brain capacity for this. You know, I'd love to, but like, I can't. I'm sorry. So I feel like <laughs> if we had gone down that road, it's kind of like, I feel like in a way maybe it wouldn't have been the right decision because it's kind of like if I was kind of branded as a kind of fantasy author then it would just mean for my second book it's kind of like it would have to kind of be similar and it's kind of like that's not the direction I want to go in especially when I just think about my future ideas are a lot more kind of historical where it's like I always just want that little kind of sliver of kind of magic but not kind of completely kind of all out fantasy. Yeah, I'm going to pull you up on that though because I read in said <laughs> that you were intimidated by historical fiction, um, and I just wondered, like, okay, you you were you were slightly worried about writing historical fiction. How did you, <laughs> how did you get past that? How did you how did you think to yourself, 
okay well this is what I really want to write but I'm worried about writing it maybe I'm not good enough I think we all feel that though I think whatever genre we pick there's a part of us that thinks am I that person am I that writer so how did you get past that feeling of I'm not a historical fiction writer or I'm not capable of doing it I feel like I got past it because like you know originally like I grew up like you know reading um like historical fiction and watching period drama so it's always been my first love um and I kind of just felt like obviously with the amount of work involved in like researching you know historical fiction it I was always just too scared to try so it was only when my first book which was like a contemporary kind of like YA with like fantasy elements when that died on submission I realized that you know I didn't really have anything to lose like if I wanted to write then I needed to kind of you know write in the genre that I've always loved and it was during lockdown so it's that thing it's like I didn't have any distractions I had more time to just really kind of you know give it a go and so I feel like it was just that thing it's like you you'll never like succeed if you don't try so for me it was kind of like I kind of just had this mindset where it's like I'm just going to go for it and if it doesn't work out then it doesn't work out but like I have to try Mm -hmm. definitely I'm going to touch on a bit more about your kind of your first venture into querying agents a bit later but I just want to go back to the novel and talk a little bit more about Nicholas's character and how how did you come up with him as a as a character? What kind of work did you do to to make him um, into your kind of into your main character? Oh wow! So with like the first book I wrote, I kind of had footnotes in the vein of like um, um, Susanna Clarke's Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell. And so with one of the footnotes, I kind of delved into the kind of English witch trials. And because um, I had like a male kind of protagonist for my first book, I kind of I feel like because that had failed I was kind of like okay maybe like that story and that genre doesn't work but maybe I can kind of take that that male character and kind of just see like if I can kind of work it into a new story so even though Nicholas is a completely kind of different character I've kind of got that same kind of I've there are similarities in that both characters have powers and they also kind of have securities on having powers in a world where like it's not you know accepted and I kind of just feel like because I studied at Curtis Brown like creative and um, like writing school and so when I started that course I was 10,000 words in which you know at the time I was kind of panicking because like there were some people in the course who had already finished their novels but then I feel like perhaps one of the blessings of starting with the lower word count was that I was able to kind of slow down with the help of my tutors like really figure out the story like I wanted to tell and so they really kind of you know kind of helped me to kind of develop the character and then just also kind of you know ask myself the questions to kind of really kind of you know figure out who Mm. Nicholas was yeah and so I feel like for me like when I was kind of just going through edits and like reading my story over and over again I was constantly just asking myself questions like okay why is he acting like this like why is he interacting with these characters and like that kind of constant motivation question okay what does what does he want overall what what does he want in this scene and seeing where it went brilliant and and again I'm gonna ask you more about the CBC stuff later (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask one question about your kind of the reveal of the magic really as such. Um, yes. Because obviously that moment is so pivotal, pivot, pivotal. But I wondered when reading it, whether you came at that scene already knowing 
that it was going to be that moment that you had envisioned in your mind exactly when Nicholas's um, power or skill was going to be revealed or whether you kind of played with holding it back for longer or revealing it in a different way or revealing it at the beginning like how did you decide when to reveal that moment oh god so there was a lot lot of back and forth on that especially like when I was like working with my agent and editor so I believe before I went on submission to agents I kind of had that reveal like in that kind of moment of the book or maybe like a chapter or two earlier and then I remembered when I was going through edits with my agent she wanted to make it clear of the magical ability from the beginning and then when I went through edits with my editor she actually wanted to delay that reveal and it's like I remember like my agent and I kind of like laughing over it because it was just like for you just realized like how subjective this whole thing was like because it's just that thing like what one person might like you know another person it's like it's not like for them in that way and it's kind of like it is definitely a balancing act and I do feel that with my kind of agent and editor like obviously they were giving me kind of new edits and their feedback but I always felt like I had control over how I wanted to shape the, the story but then I also just feel like I'm quite you know naturally collaborative and I'll take on like feedback and because I wanted the story to be as strong as it could be like I had no problem in kind of going back and making those changes even though sometimes it's like it's painful because of that kind of ripple effect so <laughs> you're just oh god yeah it's sort of like a dance in a way you're just mm-hmm. trying to make it all kind of you know clean and like elegant um but I feel like perhaps having another experience of playing around it just made me kind of see like the ways in which I can kind of heighten kind of like you know the tension and like when you kind of read the book it's sort of that thing it's like it helped me to kind of develop Stephen's character who was kind of a father figure to Nicholas and so at first you just think oh he doesn't want to be apprenticed to this man because he'll see it as betrayal of you know Stephen's and then you realize later oh there's there's something else not right here and I when I think back to the stories I've read I, I kind of always like it when like the character has a secret or two kind of up their sleeve so it kind of just taught me like what how to kind of improve as a writer and like it just made me remember what I really like kind of to read as a reader as well in terms of like those kind of like those reveal moments mm. yeah absolutely and and you've nailed that that kind of difficulty of deciding what is the right decision because like you say it's so subjective and you could you could make a scene at the beginning or five chapters in and one person says oh move the scene to the beginning and the other person says no be <laughs> in chapter five and and you as the writer have ultimately got to make that decision and kind of hope for the best it's the right one uh, which is always that pressure I think but um, only you know kind of really where it should be um, I wondered whether you could tell us a little bit more about your research. I know you are, you know, incredibly passionate about this era in history and you know so much, just I can tell you know so much just by reading your book. How did you manage to kind of weave it into the narrative without, because um, obviously there's always going to be things that you want to reveal in the book that you've read in your research, but, you know, there's probably too much research to fit into the book. So how did you kind of yes. decide what was going to be, kept what was going to um, be on the cutting room floor and, and was that difficult to to decide god it was like really difficult because I feel like what I really struggled with when I was going through the research was 
trying to just figure out why the civil war happened because I read so many books and it's just that thing it's like some people are like oh you know it was King Charles other people it was like you know more people are reading like so they're becoming more aware of like you know their rights and inequality and then I so I feel like for me it's like I would have pages and pages of reasons why the war happened and then it's kind of just that thing it's like you just kind of as you edit you just kind of go through and you keep trying to reduce it and reduce it and reduce it until you have maybe just like two or three lines about that matter um so that it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like a history textbook Mm. but like it definitely is a struggle and I I think when I was just writing my story it's kind of that thing it's like if it wasn't kind of connected to the character of the storyline then it's like I would just like you know try to cut like as much as possible and so I feel like one thing it's like I wanted to include I really wanted to kind of include stuff about like the levelers and you know those kind of like those kind of freedom movements that were those political movements that were coming up but it was kind of like because it wasn't part of the story that it's like I just couldn't justify fitting him in and because obviously there's so much like going on in that time and I feel like with the witch trials they're complicated enough so it was kind of like I was just trying to keep stuff that was directly relevant to the witch trials but then obviously with the civil war like that was one of the reasons the hysteria happened because you know because people are so distracted by the war they're not really kind of you know they're not really kind of concerned about like the other stuff that's going on so people are kind of taking advantage of the chaos mm-hmm. um but yeah it was just like it is just a like it is a balancing act and I feel like it's something like even on when I'm work, even now I'm working on book two I'm still kind of trying to kind of you know get it right in terms of okay when to include information and when to just leave it and I feel like it's probably something you only get right as you go through kind of edits and you just kind of really get like a better handle of what the story is. And then you can kind of recognise, OK, this bit isn't necessary. Cut. Yeah, it's so difficult, isn't it? I, I'm always, anytime I speak to a historical fiction writer, I just, A, I don't know how you do the level of research that's involved. You know, <laughs> it's not just the kind of, like you say, trying to understand why the, the war happened but it's things like names for certain things or what they eat or what they wear. And yeah. You have to have all those <laughs> details to make. And your book is really beautifully written and vividly written. So you have to know all those details, don't you? Because you can't just write a scene where a character gets stressed or has a meal. You need to know every tiny little thing. And like, what do they eat with? What do they, you know, do they have? um you know bowls or what is it they used to eat from yeah to know all those details is again that's a hell of a lot of research you've got to do I know I know it's just like at one point I did feel like I was just going insane because when I just look at all the notes I took and again it's kind of like when you're doing that kind of research like you'll only end up using like 10 percent but it's kind of like you're just having to weigh through all the information to find those kind of those cool details and yeah it's just it's tough I I wondered apart from the kind of research side of it what was the other kind of most challenging part of this novel writing this novel I feel like probably the most challenging part was probably just remembering that you know people are people regardless of the century they live in and like I feel like for me like 
probably one of my kind of weaknesses as a writer is that sometimes like I can just get I can fall so deep into the research like I lose sight of the story and then it's kind of like and I lose sight of the characters because I'm just kind of determined to bring the past to life and it's like I I just kind of forget you know that you know people are are people and so it's just that thing it's like you kind of start to look at this past the past is like this sort of like this alien kind of you know environment and it's kind of like you have to like find those details that make it that make it feel lived in in mm. a way mm. ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So you mentioned this other book, this YA book that you queried with before. Yes. And obviously that that unfortunately didn't uh, kind of attract interest of, of agents, but I wondered what it was about the Rebels you think made it special made it stand out for agents and to get that interest that you didn't get before I feel like because even with the agents who didn't offer they were all very complimentary about like the writing and the atmosphere and I feel like probably you know what helped me to kind of you know like get a deal was basically the fact is like I was writing in the genre that you know that I actually you know that that is my first love because it's kind of like it's embarrassing to admit but like you know even though like I really like YA like I probably wasn't really reading enough to have like written a story like you know in that like in that genre 
and it's kind of like and certainly not enough to just be like okay like what can I do that will feel kind of fresh in this market and so I feel like for me it's like perhaps for agents they could see that like my love of the period kind of you know shone through and so that I had this story and that I had more ideas for kind of like you know like other stories in the genre that wasn't just necessarily like a sequel whereas with the YA like it was like it was going to be like a duology or or trilogy and like that's probably because I just I didn't have any other ideas like <laughs> like that were like separate to that kind of book mm. and then I feel like with that with the rebels like I feel like I found like my voice because like when I was growing up like I'd always play you know when you're kind of role-playing with your sisters and making up plays they'd always be like these little period dramas so like that kind of period speak like you know that would kind of like that kind of came like quite naturally like when I found like the rhythm of my of my characters Mm. and so even when I was editing I could go back and just be like okay this is going into a bit of parody let's let's scale that back but it's like I really loved you know how they spoke in in that time period and just like you know in the when you're watching the films like it does feel like a play like with how people spoke and like um, this is like slightly later but like the especially the Georgian periods when you just read some of their letters like it's so kind of beautiful but like no one speaks like that anymore so I feel like for me like I just really fell in love with the the language of the period and so that's what maybe helped me to kind of like tap into it and then I think just having a male kind of witch was like um quite a few agents really kind of like that um, fresh twist and my editor like she really liked it as well because she just said she could see witches were like becoming kind of popular so she liked the fact that I had put like this fresh spin on it and so um like I feel like that's kind of what agents and editors look looking for sometimes it's not someone who's trying to kind of necessarily break the will but just to kind of take what people love but like do it in a different way mm, mm, absolutely you've definitely hit the right time with witchy books I've read a lot of witchy yeah books this year, but yours is the only one with a, a male protagonist as far as I can remember yeah yeah because it's it's funny because when I was writing it like I had no idea that witches mm. were going to be so popular it was just like an idea I had and then it's kind of like when I was I think at the beginning like before I started writing I went back and forth between having like a male character or like you know female character and I I think the reason why I decided on a male character was because I wanted someone in my book who was going to have that male male power who could you know ride into a town and kind of you know demand things so like to really kind of explore that male privilege in a way that a lot of women in that period you know they they didn't have you know even if they were you know like very wealthy because you know noble women were accused of being witches and also queens too so yeah yeah I I I wondered and this is a bit of a tangent but I don't know whether you felt this when your book was being announced or kind of about to be announced and you started to see other books other announcements of other books and you know there would be ones that pop up and say this is a story set in the 17th century about witchcraft and you'd start to panic and be like oh my goodness my book is the same as this or it's too similar I had this Mm. book and I think every single person I know has had that blind panic of oh my goodness my book's already been done and I would just wonder whether you had that feeling because obviously this is a time of lots of witchy books. Did you ever have that panic of, oh my goodness, like this book is, my book is not original enough or it's, it's already been taken somehow? 
I think I feel like I did because obviously like when you were just seeing all those announcements you're like and like with a lot of them they were being published before mine so I was kind of like oh god my idea isn't original and it's sort of like you know people might read bad books and it's like and they'll decide that they're done with witches for a while so it is you do have that slight panic but then when you just think about like you know the whole Greek myth trend it's kind of that thing it's like I've read like quite a few books and like I've really like enjoyed them but then it's kind of like it's not going to put me off reading more I feel like for me like what kind of you know what what I would look for is to see like what people are doing differently with that story Mm -hmm. um and so I would look for that fresh twist and so I feel like I was quietly confident that I had enough of a twist that hopefully people would be drawn to it but then it is just that kind of thing where it's like you want to be like original so I know like in publishing it's good when your book is easy easily like marketable and and stuff but then it's kind of like when you want to I don't know you you still want to be original you don't want to feel like you're kind of chasing a trend but then it's just interesting like how these trends happen because you know I'm sure like with a lot of people writing witch lit like how many of them like predicted that witch that was going to be such a thing because Mm. yeah it's like it's just like getting your idea at the right time as well it's it's yeah that's really hard because yeah and I always think it's you know it's that thing isn't it that people people tend to be discouraged from kind of writing to a trend because by the time your book's published it will be two years later and the trend will have gone and it's funny how people hit on a certain theme and then there are five other books published that year with a with a similar theme but I mean I do think well I've read a lot of witchy books this year but they all seem to be pretty different and they're all quite distinct which is I mean which is again why they're published you're not asking for like identical books um but I do think people do have those nerves of oh my goodness my book's already been done but we're we're all individuals and there's no way that a a book can be written as a kind of exact copy so I think hopefully people won't feel that fear too much yeah yeah (laughs) one thing I really wanted to ask you about because I just think what an amazing opportunity this must have been for you was that you were mentored by Claire McIntosh yes yes incredible (laughs) what a dream um I wondered Um... what was the most important thing that you learned from her I feel like because basically firstly like her is just so amazing and it's like I feel like when I first met her I was like in awe of her books and her reputation but then I feel like I was also just really kind of in awe of her kindness like she is just really like so lovely and supportive and I feel like the biggest lesson I got from her was that obviously with publishing like it is like a long game and you know you have to work like incredibly hard because even though she's traditionally published you know as you'll like say in interviews she works in a way like an independently published author so she's really like worked hard for her success so it's just that thing you just realize that in this industry like you know unless you're really lucky you'll have to just really kind of fight for what you want so it just made me like try to kind of see publishing as as a business like from the beginning um, because often like you know you can spend years like you know writing and hoping your book will get published and then it's kind of like and when you when you do it's great but then it's kind of like it is that thing when you're turning your kind of dream 
into a job or like you know trying to and so it's a whole different kind of you know like feeling to kind of you know navigate as well it, it, it's, it's a journey in itself in a way so I feel like for her, from Claire I learned you know how to just be persistent and then also definitely building like your writing tribe as well because like she has such a strong network of you know authors you know like who you know who they like they all support each other and I feel like for me like I've really kind of made an effort to kind of you know go to kind of different events and like you know kind of like you know meet and befriend other authors and I also have like a really good like writing group like a, a group of writers on Twitter um who I've and it's like it's been lovely because it's like I've been able to meet like a few of them in person as well and so I just realized yeah the writing community like it's it's key like just to kind of have support and like to kind of ask questions and it's kind of like you know when you need to like panic over like oh my god I, I, I don't have an idea for book two or it's like oh I have an idea but it's like I don't know how to get started and then you realize like yes everyone's going through the same thing as well yeah absolutely it's so important to also if you can befriend people that are at different stages to you it's quite handy because if you know someone that's kind of almost a year ahead of where you are you can say like what what's it like to go through this or Mm -hmm. and and they know usually they know the answers so um yeah obviously community is just so important and what an incredible opportunity that was for you I know you've documented your kind of journey to publication on your Instagram which I will link to in the show notes but I'd love if you could for the benefit of the podcast tell us kind of how you got from finishing your novel to getting your book deal so I started writing the rebels during lockdown and so by um so I started in 2020 and then by December 2020 I had my first line because it's like I was procrastinating so much with like research and finding that good opening and then I applied for the Claire McIntosh scholarship um, run by like, you know, Curtis Brown um, Creative. And so I got into that the following year. It was a six month course. So it started in February 2021. My maths is going to be off. So I, I think it finished in July, I guess. I'm terrible at maths, just just as a disclaimer. Um, and then while I was um, on the course as well, I entered the HarperCollins inaugural Killing It Prize for Undiscovered Writers. Um, and I was notified in August that I was one of three winners. And so as part of the award, you got like a free manuscript assessment. And that was by, you know, Phoebe Morgan, mm. who's both an amazing editor and a brilliant kind of crime author as well. Um, and it's like I remember getting the email and I was like, oh, my God, this is this is amazing. And then it was kind of like, but I don't have a full manuscript yet. So it's like I had about three days or four days. And it's like, um, yes, I had to finish that manuscript. And I think I wrote about oh God, maybe like 20,000 words to finish it off. And so it's just that thing. I felt like a vampire after I like I hit the send button. But I feel like with that competition, like it really kind of just helped me to to finish it because I feel like sometimes like I'm a slow writer. Like if I can procrastinate, like I will. And so having that deadline really kind of pushed me so that by October 2021, like I was, I started to query agents and then. When I met Liza, I just knew from that meeting that she was the best editor for me. So 
in a way like it happened like really really kind of quickly but then I feel like having that kind of experience of failure with my first book it kind of prepared me and then I was just lucky because everything seemed to kind of align for like the um for the for the um for the second book so yeah (laughs) I wondered then whether from your experience of of your publication whether you had any advice for next year's debut so the 2020 um is there anything you wish you'd known before you signed your contract and your book deal I feel like um like everyone warns about the kind of you know the terror like of like book two so I feel like you know you always kind of wish that you know you could just be more ahead of the game and more prolific but then it's sort of that thing it's like you know if you'd written that book kind of earlier like would it be the same book you know that kind of thing so it's sort of like it's always like right time like right place but then I feel like my kind of you know advice for book two and what I realize is kind of just like having like a better sense of balance so just kind of trying to sort of see what the year ahead is going to look like to kind of really plan out your time so that you know you're not kind of doing too much and risking like burning out and then I also feel as well like another thing I would have because obviously like when you get close to publication like you're sometimes you're you know you're you might if you're lucky be asked to do kind of interviews or like podcasts or write feature pieces or short stories and so I had that and then it was just like being there brilliant but then it's like it is like such a it's it can just be quite time consuming so I feel like for publication definitely just try to clear your um schedule so that you know you're not kind of going like you know back and forth between things because sometimes publishers will throw stuff at you and then of course like you don't want to say yes and then you're just like oh god I, I don't have enough time um and then I also just feel like kind of just be kind to yourself as well because you know obviously when you look on social media you can see that everyone is a lot more like you can feel like you're in that thing where you're behind like you're like you know you're finishing you're coming in last or you know you're behind everyone else and it's like it's not the case like everyone moves at their own pace and like just to kind of prioritize the writing and then also to enjoy it because you know you only get to be a debut kind of once and then Mm -hmm. I feel like yeah once you're done being a debut I feel like everyone kind of expects you to kind of be like an expert in a way so definitely enjoy being like a debut and but I also feel like regardless of what stage you're at just ask questions if you have a question even if it's with editing or whatever you know just ask because you know sometimes people forget that you know you're new so anything you're unsure of just just ask yeah absolutely and you're right once you're once you've done being a debut you know who cares no I'm joking (laughs) (laughs) so we've we've talked about book two the fear of book two um difficulties surrounding book two so Stacey now it's time finally please tease us give us a little reveal of what you're Um, writing next so book two it's set in London 1950 so very different to um the 17th century um but basically um it's set in 1958 so the last year that debutantes curtsy to the queen so it's all about the people behind the debutantes from like the ambitious mothers who will do everything to make their daughters deb of the year to the social secretaries who see their debs as a way to kind of go in into high society and then what happens when the queen is like 
Edward Queen is like, we're done with high society. I mean, not done with high society, but we're done with the curtsying. So it's like that very kind of elite, exclusive world is getting smaller. And so your way to kind of give an entry into that world, it's kind of like it's starting to disappear unless you already belong. So, yes. And as per, like, you know, my USP, like a kind of an element of the supernatural in a way. <laughs> yeah, you've got to include that in our state. So that's your brand. That's your thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds really different from your first book and very exciting. Um, um, I know how passionate and enthusiastic you get about your different uh, eras like when you're working on a novel so I'm sure it'll be brilliant Stacy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today thank you so much for having me Chloe <laughs> that was Stacy Thomas talking about her historical novel The Revels which is out now and available to buy and if you'd like to support this podcast debut authors and independent bookshops you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop hosted by bookshop.org which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.